Welcome to the Individual Matters podcast and video series where we're focused on learning about learning. My name is Andrew Caton. I'm an educator, author, and director of Individual Matters, a Western Colorado-based psychology practice specializing in evaluations. I'm joined by my co-host and wife, Dr. Katrina Caton, licensed psychologist and also an educator and author. Today, we're gonna continue our series focused on executive functioning with our first segment that presents our five R solutions for everyday living. And these focus on some different executive functioning challenges and strategies. So today we're gonna to talk about the first R in that series. We've termed that reframe and redefine. So why don't you talk a little bit about what that is and how we do that? Certainly, so I am excited to jump in and get to the solutions. Um, so for reframe and redefine, this really starts with the idea that we really have to figure out what's going on first. So um, we could entitle this segment barking up the wrong tree or something like that. Um, so reframing and redefining means we want to look at what is the struggle? What is the subskill that is um, needing some support or some skill building so that we can then jump in with the solution? Um, I kind of like to start this topic with a um, Calvin and Hobbes cartoon, which um, it has Calvin lying in bed, and he says, a day can really slip by when you're deliberately avoiding what you're supposed to do. <laughs> and I love that because I think sometimes we see a student not doing what they're supposed to be doing and we blame them. We say that they're actively avoiding it because they're not interested or they don't want to. Um, the other one I hear related to this kind of procrastination is also that maybe the student is perfectionistic and that the fear of being perfect is preventing them from getting started. And certainly while I think both of those often can be the reason that we're not getting something done, um, but more common, I think it's a um, skill deficit or a challenge in the area of activation. So this would be an example of how we figure out what's going on and then we reframe it and redefine it for what it actually is as opposed to what we think it is. Yeah, that's a great point. I, so when you're sitting in a, uh, you're in a consultation with a parent or maybe you're at the school and you're talking with other educators or parents, um, you do, you're, you're a consultant for a number of schools around uh, Colorado as well. What kinds, of, um, what kinds of things do you hear from parents? You talked a little bit about how they, you know, they may struggle with um, um, perfectionism or it might be a can't. Um, but you know, what are some other things that you hear that right away you think, okay, there's something executive functioning going on here? Um, yeah, so I think one example would be um, maybe there's a big project due and uh, my student has waited till the last minute again to get going on it. And then you have this sort of anxiety-ridden epic battle to get it going and get, and then eventually they sort of get started and then they end up turning in something that's pretty good or really well done. Um, and when I hear that kind of thing, my first question is, is this an activation problem? Is this something where this student is having difficulty starting, organizing, prioritizing, all of those things that require someone to kind of get going on a project? Um, although I would call it activation, I think that sometimes it's mislabeled as lazy or not caring. 
um, or I was talking about earlier about some procrastination. And so by calling it activation, um, now we know it's a start button problem. So, okay, the start button problem's not working, so what do we do about it? By calling it the right thing, we're able to move into the correct solution. Um, if the issue were perfectionism and sort of an anxiety about performance, um, that would be a very different solution than the start button being quote unquote broken. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking about being a parent and uh, my child comes to me on the day that a project is due or maybe the night before <laughs> and says, I need help with this. And you ask, when is it due tomorrow? And the first question out of, I think most parents mouths is, well, why are you, why did you wait this late? How long have you had to do this? And why did you wait this late? And why didn't you tell me about this? And so immediately that triggers, right, fears in a parent is, you know, what, what's going on here? You're going to get a zero. You're going to get an F. Um, it probably causes some, some frustration, probably causes maybe even some anger, just some, like, why is this child not getting started the way that they're supposed to? And, and do they not care about their grades? Um, you know, are they being lazy? I'm just throwing some different terms out there or some different emotions that, that a parent might feel. And what you're saying is all of this, maybe none of th those behaviors may not be communicating any of that. In sure. fact, it may be a need for some support with getting started in, in the case of activation sure. or getting organized or trying to figure out what the point of the project is or what the goal is or chunking it or whatever. And I don't mean to get ahead in, in EF strategies, but that's what you're saying is mm -hmm. if, if we mislabel what's going on from the beginning, then we're, we may react emotionally in a way that's um, not only is it not supportive, but it then uh, furthers the negative self-concept in the child, right? Because now we've turned a, a learning opportunity into an argument or a lecture about why they can't uh, manage their life or get things done, right? Sure, and sadly, I think we end up shaming and blaming either our child or ourselves in the process that we're not holding them accountable or we're not a good parent or we aren't on it or whatever it might be, but ultimately shame and blame is really what it, it ends up at. Um, but the nice thing is, is and I ask parents a lot of times when they come with this example of the project is due tomorrow is, oh, is this the first time this has happened? And without exception, it's, uh, no, this is not. So the nice thing is kids will give us lots of opportunities to get it right. And if we're offering up solutions that aren't working, then that's a pretty good indication that we've maybe got the wrong definition of what's going on or the wrong, we've identified um, the root of the problem incorrectly. And many of these behaviors, right, we're, we're interpreting what they mean. I think about different checklists for executive functioning, and some of them are kind of subjective. Um, they're based on observations of an individual's behavior, which may or may not be tied back to the actual cause that we think it is, right? But in terms of identifying executive functioning, and we don't want to go off on too much of a tangent here, but can you measure that? I mean, can that be identified um, beyond just hearing some of these different behaviors? Yeah, so the nice thing about evaluation is we do have lots of different ways of measuring and evaluating so that we can really break it down into the um, sub-skills that might be the reason for something not going well. So we have um, parent questionnaires that we can give. We have uh, self-questionnaires that we're able to give. We even have um, standardized measures where we uh, evaluate the child's executive function based on different kinds of activities and such as um, included in that is things like 
the game 20 questions if you've heard of that but a, a version of that is included. Um, yeah, they look at what's shifting, There's different puzzles and categorizing, and so it really breaks it down. And then it also separates it further into visual versus auditory or visual versus language-based, which we can see a big split there sometimes as well. Um, so that helps you kind of tease out executive functioning from some of the other potential causes of the behaviors, one, and then two, in reframing, you're then able to discuss these with the student and help them understand the difference between their can'ts and their won'ts, right? So that they can start thinking about some of these behaviors that they've been, um, have been characterized as negative and related to their uh, motivation or their, you know, their personal integrity. And in fact, are more related to their, their, their neuro functioning sure and so that they can begin understanding those that way right and and so that they can begin reframing what their deficits are and take a more um, solution focused more positive approach to addressing them yeah so i think it adds to that um you know it doesn't shame and blame so it's not about self-esteem or who you are as a person it gives the name of it and then it also opens up for solution and accountability and i think that accountability piece is what's most important because we're trying to train them for life. We want to give them skills where um, they're able to manage these things uh, when they leave the home and go off to college and different things like that. Um, I just want to share an example. So one of the executive functions um, would be finishing or kind of what I call the final lap, kind of closing out the project with whatever, or um, even with a chore. So um, at our house, we call that the final lap. So um, if, for example, we say, okay, clear the table, and um, the child brings over the dishes and then kind of uh, heads into the living room, it's like, well, head on back for the final lap. And usually that's something like rinsing out the dishes or wiping off the table, whatever the routine and rhythm might be for that particular chore. But it's, it's these quick terminologies that kind of alert the child to that. Um, it's like a prompt or a cue to do that final lap because as I was saying earlier, this particular child is likely to um, not complete the final lap during most tasks. And so it can be something that you can continually work on because you have it labeled and you can, and it doesn't require a big discussion. It's just a quick prompt and some practice in that kind of final lap. Um, the other one that I think might be worth bringing up here too that I see a lot um, in families that present for evaluations is transitioning. And we hear a lot about transitioning and shifting and, and we kind of all get what that might be and how it looks different for everyone. Um, but what I hear a lot of times is that um, the child is strong-willed or refuses to um, follow instruction. And when I observe the child, I'll see that they're working on something or they're playing with an object or they're finishing up a task and they actually need to wrap that up before they can neurologically shift to the next task. Um, this also might be the young child who has a lot of trouble leaving the park. So that's the ones you see with the parent carrying them from the swing, screaming and crying to the car because it's time to go. Um, so those transitions show up differently. Um, but when you realize it's a transition and not a personality flaw, then the intervention is different. So you might, for example, count them down. 
or um, rhythm and routines. And we'll get into those in the next upcoming segments. But that's another example, I think, when we, we call it, oh, this is a transition. I know my child struggles with transitions, always struggles with transitions. And then it's sort of you go in armed, they know what it is, and you're, you're ready. Um, and then you hold them into, accountable to that. And then you can review how'd that go, what worked, what didn't, those kinds of things. That's a really great point. And we worked together closely on this stuff back when I was teaching. And not to get too off tat or I run, go down a rabbit hole with this, but um, we would introduce, I introduced, and I think it was your idea, some transition moments of about five minutes or so at the beginning of every class um, where kids are able to come in, there's a routine there, they have something that they're working on individually and so on and so forth. But if, if that weren't in place, I know for a fact, and I remember there are several students who would really have a tough time coming in from the previous class, um, from lunch, from recess especially, and just kind of settling down and shifting gears and thinking, okay, now we're, we're no longer playing tag or kickball, now we're back, it's time to learn, we're gonna settle down. And that was really helpful to get that implemented for them. And on the, on, at the other end of it, when it was time to leave, you know, you think about scaffolding children in, uh, students in keeping track of their work and being organized and those kinds of things. Well, a five minute wrapping up the lecture or wrapping up the activity five minutes early, allowing the kids to go into their planner and write down what their homework is or what their, what their assignment is, gather their papers, get their book bag together. It was like a, it was just kind of closing things out. It was bookending the classroom. And it was a, a good model, I think, for them to, to practice because it, it applies to anything, not just in class, but in their life as well. So. Yeah, and I like that. And we'll talk more about the bookending as some of the strategies and solutions. Because um, bookending can be done for short segments, long segments. It really recommended for an entire day that you bookend your entire day in certain ways. Um, and I think the warm-ups that you're talking about are those quotes where they would write. So you'd have their notebook. They knew to come in, sit down, and just start writing about or drawing about or doodling about the quote that was up on the board. So it sort of it eased everybody into getting started. Um, and I think this is helpful, too, along with transitions, is children who have a extended warm-up period. And so you, this works because then you're you're shortening that that warm-up period, but then you're also giving um, them some space if they need a little extra before you jump in, and now they've missed the first part of what you started talking about, and then you get frustration and blowout and all of those things, too. So there's lots of reasons that that, that activity, I think, was really helpful. Um, and I think even for the teacher, it might have been helpful <laughs> hey, <laughs> helping we, you ease into yeah, teachers, that class. We have to transition too, right? So you're collecting. It actually, there was a time when I would collect homework, I remember. And, and I'm getting off track because there's so many other cool strategies that you can use to support executive functioning development. Um, but just real quick, we're running out of time here. One other question. I know we're focused primarily on kiddos, but we, we work with individuals of all ages. Do you see a lot of these executive functioning challenges with adults? And when you think about how they conceptualize that, how they've learned, to, the story that they've learned to tell about themselves over the years, how, how does that impact them later on in adulthood? Yeah, I mean, I think we see it across all ages. And I think um, it affects self-esteem. It affects things that people avoid or they sort of lump in this whole idea that I'm incapable or I could never do that because I could never do this part of it. Um, Whereas when you learn what it is and you call it what it is, then you have lots of, lots of options. So 
Um, there's several executive functions that are not my strength. Um, for example, little self-disclosure is the start button. So I create my schedule so I can get going right from the get-go. Or we um, hire somebody to do some of those so that we can focus on some of our gifts and strengths. Yeah, outsource some of your deficits, right? Right. <laughs> and, and the start button, that goes back to activation again as well. Right. Yeah, so it's really helpful as adults that we understand, okay, where are my executive function deficits? These don't mean that I'm lazy. It doesn't mean that I'm dumb. It doesn't mean any of those things. It just means that I need a little bit of skill development or mitigation or reduction to make my life a little bit easier. And I just want to throw in too that oftentimes we see that it's genetic. So parents and children will will share some similar challenges. And I think that's really powerful when um, a family can share, oh yeah, you know, mom's not good at getting started, but boy, that final lap. Um, Whereas maybe, you know, so-and-so and and, and just kind of talking about those things and um, making it okay to have a set of strengths and weaknesses and then being able to share strategies and um, also learn about yourself as you learn more about your children. All right, fantastic. Is there anything else you want to add? No, I think that's it for this one. I'll just look forward to everyone being at the next one. Okay, and what is our next segment coming up for the, uh, for the R Solutions for Everyday Living? Um, so our next one that we're going to talk about is a strategy. It's reduce, reduce, reduce. And we'll talk about what those strategies are, why they work, and um, specifically which skills of executive function they target. Great. And I will post some and share some resources at the end of this podcast and video in case you're interested in some more information. Everything is also available at our website, individualmatters.org. And uh, thanks for joining us. We'll see you at the next one. If you're interested in learning more about executive function, we recommend visiting brownadhdclinic.com. That's Dr. Brown's website. We referenced during the podcast, he has information not only about EF, but about ADHD, uh, the model that he uses, and strategies for supporting that. Another good one is understood.org, not only for EF, but also for all issues related to neurodevelopment and learning. And then a third is Center on the Developing Child at Harvard University. You can Google that website where they offer information, talk a little bit about the science of EF, and then offer some, some strategies for building executive function skills.